Our scripture today for the sermon comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these past days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women among our group astounded us. They went to the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked on ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was walking and talking with us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? On well, that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying that the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told of what they had happened to them on the road and how he had made them known to us in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God to us today. Well, good morning. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, 
A little nervous, though, when I started seeing those old directory photographs popping up there. Uh, but I was encouraged to see that, uh, see that one of Mitch, Mitch Freeman. I, I'd hate to think that he'd been ugly all of his life, so <laughs> I, I, I'm just, just grateful for that. So, uh, no, that's, uh, it, it helps explain, too, why there was a photo of Vicki and I a few weeks ago that popped up randomly from the 19-somethings. Uh, a little advance notice of, uh, hey, just make sure you get here and get those photographs taken. It's all I got to say. It, it, it can come back to haunt you. Meals are really a big deal. And I'm not talking just about uh, the fact that most of us uh, look like we've had, you know, a couple or three square meals most days and uh, that that's all important and necessary for nutrition. No, I, there's something bigger than that when it comes to thinking about food and tables and gathering together. I remember some, actually many years ago, uh, traveling into Amman, Jordan. It was back in the 90s, it, I, traveling with a group of six or seven folks, and we got into Amman very, very late. We were supposed to get in around six o'clock, I think, uh, but it was way after midnight. There'd been weather delays in Chicago. There'd been weather in Amsterdam. And, uh, and then there was this long trip from Amsterdam into Amman, uh, back, this was back in the day when there was smoking and non-smoking sections on a plane. Uh, but on Jordanian air, it's all smoking. And so, you know, just hours of Turkish cigarettes. Whew, it was pretty strong. He finally got in at midnight. We get to the hotel, uh, ready to collapse, take a shower. Uh, but there were all of the staff. They had prepared a banquet for us. And they were there hours after they should have long gone home, waiting with eager anticipation to practice hospitality to us Americans as we made our way into their country. And a banquet we had at 1 o'clock in the morning. It was fantastic. It was amazing. We've all had special meals like that. I've been welcomed in all kinds of strange places as a stranger in uh, Christian communities across Europe. I've, been, I've had and shared meals, uh, countless meals with good friends, uh, eating barbecue with, you know, goop up, up your uh, short, you know, kind of roll up your sleeves and get in after it, right? We've had these. I've had great meals around open campfires on hunting camps and uh, out in the, in the great outdoors. I've had meals here in town with many of you at places like Zintner's Daughter. Or, well, it was a pretty good meal, actually. It was, it was a good meal. But it was great to be with one another. Meals like that do more than just feed us. There's something else going on when we break bread with others, when we share a meal in, the, uh, in that time and place where we're neither working nor attending to some particular agenda, but we're simply telling stories. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of meals that we have sometimes in business where we're trying to get a deal done over lunch. I'm talking about the kind of meal you have with a friend or a family member. Ordinary meals are special. Just last night, we were having such a meal as that. Uh, my mother's in from St. Louis with us for a few days, so she was there. Our daughter was there, and Vicki, the four of us sitting around. And for two meals, we sat and digested over a wonderful meal that Leslie had prepared uh, and just telling stories, stories about growing up, stories about our family, stories about life, stories that some of which I just soon not heard. There was, 
There was that story about how I, as a young dad with one of our daughters, had uh, had quite figured out how to handle things. It kind of had a poopy sort of situation, and I had not yet learned that you take clothes down, not up, when that occurs. It was actually the same night that I learned how to shampoo my daughter's hair. That's what happened that, that night. So. That story was not, but, but other stories were good, right? They, we tell stories and we're reminded of good things when we gather with friends. That's why it's so clear as we look at the witness of the Old and New Testaments why meals are so central to life. When God chooses to liberate the people of Israel from the bondage that they found themselves in Egypt, what commemorated that time? It was a meal gathered around tables, sharing the stories of God's deliverance that continues and echoes throughout time and history, even to this day, even in what we do when we break bread and drink wine at the table. Meals serve these powerful, powerful uh, places within the tradition of, of Christianity, within, within Luke's gospel and within Acts, the book of Acts, these two, particularly these two texts, Luke and Acts, where Jesus is gathered at tables. He gathers with rich folk. He gathers with poor folk. He eats with publicans and sinners. He breaks bread all over the place. He, he, he goes to to lunch with Zacchaeus. I don't know what happened at that meal, but something happened because Zacchaeus came out of his house after that lunch saying uh, that I'm giving away my wealth. Something happened when people gathered together, something important. That's why I think it's important for us as a church, as we think about the early Christians, about reading and praying and remembering that we talk about the breaking of bread. In our culture today, we do less and less and less of it. Studies are showing that fewer and fewer Americans, less than half of America, uh, actually enjoys any number, uh, many meals with one another. Uh, we are too busy. We're too uh, disconnected. It's hard for families to share meals together. In fact, a number of studies are pointing out how that is working to our detriment as a people. Uh, there are studies been shown that truancy, kids not showing up for schools, are directly related to the amount of times they spend at table with their parents or family. Or how about obesity? That children who do not eat dinner with their parents at least twice a week are 40% more likely to be overweight to those who do. Interesting how meals play a role much beyond just simply providing the necessary minimum amounts of nutrition, but to something else about our well-being. We know how hard it is to eat by ourselves. Many of us in this room live by ourselves and know this. I travel quite a bit. I know how hard it is some night into some strange town. You're staying in a hotel and it's supper time and what are you going to do? It's hard. There's something about breaking bread with another human being that opens us up to possibilities. And it's those possibilities that the early church recognized happened when people got together. So when we read the book of Acts and we see this phrase, the breaking of bread, I think sometimes from our remote distance, we think about what we do on Sunday mornings. 
And they certainly broke bread on Sundays. But for the early church to break bread and to remember Jesus was simply what happened every time Christians got together. Even for potluck, pot, 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 crock pot potlucks. See, I, I rehearsed that even. It's tough, isn't it, Kevin? Yeah, even for, especially perhaps in those moments, the opportunities for telling stories and remembering that Jesus is with us always is present to us. That's why the story that I read a few moments ago from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, is so significant to us as Christian people. It's sort of our story, I think, in many ways. We go through our life troubled with the affairs of our life, the the challenges, the stresses, the strains. We find ourselves wishing, where is God? What's going on here? Why isn't God showing up? I'm disappointed, I'm sad, as Cleopas was and his friend on that day. And all the while, Jesus is there. They just don't recognize it. All the while, Jesus is instructing us and teaching us. And all too often, we don't see the opportunity that lies within our grasp to be cognizant and aware of the presence of Jesus. Have you ever had this experience? You're traveling like you've been in the, on an airplane and you've happened to observe somebody next to you. Old, old man, I'll say an old man since I'm getting to be one. Old man, he's kind of grumpy, all stern, long face, a couple of days growth of chin whiskers on his face, and you think, what a grumpy old man. And then you get off the plane, you make your way through the gate, or out the gate and down the terminal, and you walk past security, and there are people out there waiting to see folks. And you just happen to notice, you look up, and here come two small children, ages four and seven. And they're rushing, not to you, but to someone close to you. And you turn and look, and suddenly, the grumpy old man that you noticed on the plane is this jolly grandpa. Hey, kids! And he grabs them up, and you see joy on his face. He's animated, full of life. Do you know what I'm talking about? At moment when... Oh, you recognize that this person is more than who you thought they were. It's a moment of recognition, a moment of discovery, a moment of recognizing there is joy and life and love in another person. It's that sort of thing that happens on that road to Emmaus with, with Cleopas and with his friend as they gather around a table with this person that uh, didn't seem to know what had been going on these past three days in Jerusalem and yet knew everything about what was going on and they discovered it in that very programmatic way in which Luke writes it when Jesus grabbed some bread and broke it and gave it to them in that moment of sharing a meal it suddenly came clear that Jesus was with them they discerned it they saw it they discerned the body they they recognized the reality, the truth that had been there actually all along and yet now was the moment of recognition, the moment of discovery. And in that moment, healing and hope and newness of life popped into view. This is what happens when bread and company and stories are told. 
A few years ago, in Time magazine, a reporter by the name of Coco Masters did a, a story, a long, a lengthy story, about suicide in Japan. And the story had in it built in a sub-story about a retired police detective by the name of uh, Yokio Shiga. And Shiga had spent uh, his retirement years uh, living and working along a coastal area of Japan, an area called the Tojimbo Cliffs. The Tojimbo Cliffs, this high, remote, rocky area, was sort of the prime spot for persons, even to this day, to take their life, to end their life, to commit suicide. Thousands of people, Coco Masters notes in her essay that some 50,000 people had taken their life over a a decade of time. It was an unreal number, 30, I'm sorry, 30,000 people had taken their life over the past decade of time. Shiga walks around and looks for people and, and seeks to to reach out and connect with them. He does so in a very gentle spirit. Hello? just trying to get a bit of their attention, get them to turn just a little bit. He asks simple questions like, you've had a hard time up to now, haven't you, in your life? Just simple, simple connections, trying to connect. He hopes, he says in the interview, if he can just gently touch them, that a simple touch makes a difference. A human touch, not unlike what might happen when you grab hands around a table at lunch today with your family and friends. In that simple touch and in those gentle words, he's often, not always, but often able to get a person to respond to him. And he takes them to a, a, a little office that he has, not, uh, not far away, and there he graciously, quietly speaks to them, uh, connects with them, asks questions with them. And one of the things he always does is he offers them to eat a little bit of... Um, Orishi mushi, which is a typical Japanese food. Apparently, mushi is the sort of thing, or muchi, muchi, I think it is. Muchi is is a, a traditional meal made of sticky rice, and you make your sticky rice, and then you go over on, on New Year's Day and special holidays, you take some of yours and you trade it with some of your neighbors, and you mix it together, and you go across the way and get some of their sticky rice, and you give them some of your sticky rice, and you, it's a communal experience that happens on special days. It's comfort food, for crying out loud. It's, it's turkey and dressing, right? Okay, are you getting the point? He shares with them food that connotes so much meaning, and he says almost always what begins to happen slowly the stories begin to come. Stories about parents, stories about siblings, stories about friends and people long gone. And out of those stories comes the networks of relationships and people come to some sense of themselves and, have, and find a sense of renewed identity about who they are. And so he provides this little space of salvation the writer, as Coco Masters writes, she says, it's ironic to me or intriguing to me, she said, that on Shiga's phone, his, his ringtone is amazing grace. Amazing grace indeed that comes by breaking bread, by sharing sticky rice, by connecting in the most elemental ways with another human being at table. That, church, is what we do 
week in, week out, as the people of God, we remember. We are reminded of the truth of a reality that is always true, that Jesus is always present to us, but we march through our weeks with great haste and speed. We find ourselves involved with all kinds of things in our lives that detract us and and engage us, but on Sunday mornings we gather together, we sing these songs, we hear these scriptures, and we are reminded of a story that tells us that God is in charge, that he is a God of great love and salvation, and that he's made that clear to us through the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and ever-living presence of his son, Jesus Christ, until he comes again, and we remember it at table as we break bread with one another. We discern again the presence of Jesus Christ with us all. And so we gather at table, and I invite us to this time, and I invite our our servers to prepare and be ready to serve bread and wine. I invite you to this table, to come to this table, you who have much faith, and to you who would like to have more faith. You You who have been to this table often, and to those of you who have not been here in a long, long time. I invite to this table those who have tried to follow Jesus and to those of you who have failed to follow him. To all of us, I say, come. Come. Because actually it is Christ, the living Christ, present with us now in this space that invites us to share these simple food items, bread and fruit of the vine. And so, as Jesus himself practiced, and as it is recorded for us, we give thanks for this bread that Jesus took on the night that he, before he died and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For this bread reminds us and is actual presence of the broken body of Christ present to us in our brokenness. And we remember that he is present to us. Will you bow? Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit among us and upon this gift of bread, may this bread be for us the body of Christ, broken for us that we might have life and that we might be the bearers of Christ in this world. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. In the same way, on that night that he was betrayed, the night before his death, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever you drink of it, do it remembering me. Thus the cup brings to us Christ's blood shed, Christ's life flowing into our bodies and into our life. Will you bow? Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon this gift of the fruit of the vine. 
May it be for us the blood of Christ that we might fully, more fully embody and live for him in our world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I played some high school basketball back in the day, middle school, high school. Uh, and I know we've got a lot of coaches around here. And a lot of you have played in various sports. You know how important, actually, practice is. Practice. It's not all that exciting, day in, day in, out, getting, rushing, rushing from school quickly to get to practice. Lots of uh, stuff that doesn't seem to have anything to do with actually playing a basketball game. And yet, there's something about the discipline of working and preparing and planning and running a drill, running a drill, running a play, running a play that sets us up for the work of playing the game with excellence. And every coach knows, and, and good players know, that practice helps set things up for the real deal. Now, what I'm about to say doesn't quite work, but it's just pretty close. What we do Sunday to Sunday to Sunday is sort of like practice. I'm reminded here in this safe and sacred space, the story of God, his love for me, the calling uh, to participate in his mission in the world. I'm reminded that he is present to us in the breaking of bread and in the reading of scripture. And and in that, I'm being reminded that he's not only present here on Sunday, he's present with me every day of the week. Are you following me here? He was present to me yesterday when I had to go to the car wash that I use and find the manager and speak to a scratch that the staff had put into my pickup truck the other day. And it was important for me to remember that Christ is present in this moment because it could be very easy for me for someone other than Christ to show up in what I was about to say. Are you following me? Not that anybody else has ever had that moment where there's been a little injustice done your way and, and you just handled it so perfectly, I'm sure. No. Christ was present in that conversation with the manager yesterday. And he'll, he is present in all the conversations that I'll be having this next week. And he's present in your life too. At the tables that you sit at, in the places where you have the opportunity to practice hospitality and welcome another into joy and love and hope and forgiveness. What we have done today is simply getting us ready to live our life Monday through Saturday with the kind of attentiveness to the presence of Jesus Christ and the story of God day in, day out in the places where you work, the places where you do business, in your home, in your family, even those quiet meals with your spouse. If you've got little children, that may, that may have been a long time ago. But even there, as you tuck those three and five-year-olds into bed, Jesus is there. Why? Because we've been reminded of that truth here this morning. So here's my challenge. It's an invitation, really. That I, I send us forth today as we close this message, as we are just about to stand and sing another verse of a song, that you see what you've done this morning and let it carry into your life 
at all the tables that you find yourself at, and all the conversations that you have in your journeys and tasks this week, to look for and seek after and acknowledge and recognize the presence of Jesus this week. Let's stand together.